Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's May 18th, 2020. Welcome to The Quadcast. First up, inefficient markets. Do European countries get a better value for new cancer care drugs than the U.S.? Overall, advances in drug therapy have brought both unprecedented treatment outcomes and unprecedented costs to cancer treatment. And while we know about the high cost of new cancer drugs, one question that comes to mind is do the prices at least reflect their clinical benefit? We get the feeling you already know the answer. This cost-benefit analysis, as published in Lancet Oncology 2020 by Vokinger et al., asks whether the magnitude of clinical benefit is associated with monthly costs in the U.S. compared to four European countries, England, Switzerland, Germany, and France. 65 drugs approved for solid, 72%, and hematologic, 28%, Malignancies between 2009 and 2017 were analyzed. At a median of $13,179 per month, the monthly cost of those 65 cancer drugs in the U.S. was more than double that of all of the European countries, which all had a median between $4,800 and $6,200 per month. And that difference in price was irrespective of clinical benefit based on both the ASCO and ESMO value frameworks. One exception was France, whose price differential was somewhat associated with benefit using the ASCO model, but not using the ESMO framework. In other words, quote-unquote value in global cancer drug pricing is purely economic, with the U.S., paying much more for both high and low benefit drugs alike. The bottom line is, there's no association between the magnitude of clinical benefit of new cancer drugs and their monthly costs, with the U.S. reliably paying around double that of other countries. Up second, a bit of a tease. Pilot data demonstrates promising pathologic responses to neoadjuvant immunotherapy for resectable non-small cell lung cancer. Remember, adjuvant platinum-based chemo improves overall survival in patients with resected stage 2 and 3 non-small cell lung cancer. And despite higher rates of chemo completion, survival with neoadjuvant chemo is similar to adjuvant therapy. Conspicuously absent here is immunotherapy. Enter this phase two trial, as published in Lancet Oncology 2020 by Shu et al., where atezolizumab was added to four cycles of neoadjuvant carboplatin and NAD paclitaxel for patients with stage 1b to 3a non-small cell lung cancer, regardless of pdl one status. Most of the 30 patients had adenocarcinoma, had stage 3A disease, were PDL1 positive, 
and were current or former smokers. All but one patient went for surgery and 87% had an R0 resection. Over half of patients at 57% had a major pathologic response, which was defined as having 10% or less residual viable tumor. This included a sizable proportion of patients who had a complete pathologic response at 33%. In addition, a post hoc analysis showed that 58% of patients with confirmed N2 disease were downstaged to PN0. These numbers are encouraging in comparison to the PATH CR rate with both standard chemo and monoimmunotherapy. The bottom line is adding immunotherapy to neoadjuvant chemotherapy for resectable non small cell lung cancer results in encouraging rates of major pathologic response. Up next, settle a score. So who really benefits from adjuvant chemotherapy for breast cancer based on oncotype score? Is it those with scores greater than or equal to 31 per the standard high-risk criteria? Or is it all of those with scores greater than or equal to 26 just because they weren't included in the randomized component of the Taylor X trial? After all, we know scores of 31 or higher have a higher risk of developing metastases than those with scores 26 to 30, but none of these have ever been treated on trial without chemotherapy. Thus, we must turn to the next best thing, or at least a thing, an NCDB analysis. Between 2010 and 2015, over 17,000 women with T1 to 2 N0 breast cancer with oncotype scores greater than or equal to 26 were treated. Three quarters were treated with chemo and one quarter were treated without chemo. First of all, while medical comorbidities obviously contribute to a decision on chemotherapy delivery, those with lower scores were less likely to receive chemo. 62% of those with scores 26 to 30 versus 84% of those with scores of 31 or higher. Regardless of being more likely to receive chemotherapy, women with scores of 31 or higher had significantly worse mortality on multivariate analysis, the hazard ratio of 1.75. The biggest question was answered when recognizing that receiving chemotherapy nearly halved the risk of mortality across the board with a hazard ratio of 0.58. In fact, interaction tests demonstrated a virtually equal relative benefit in survival after chemotherapy with scores of either 26 to 30 or 31 and higher. The bottom line is, until better data emerges, signs point to chemotherapy for breast cancer with oncotype scores of 26 or higher. Thanks to Ma et al. JAMA Network Open 2020. Up next, good observation. In one of the largest of its kind, an observational study published in the New England Journal of Medicine 2020 by Galeris et al. 
looked at over 1,400 patients treated for COVID-19 within the New York Presbyterian Hospital System, and it demonstrated no difference in rates of intubation or death in patients who received hydroxychloroquine as compared to those who didn't. As a result, NYP is no longer recommending its use outside of a clinical trial. Up next, overestimating overdose. Many cancer patients are fearful of much needed opioid prescriptions due to fear of addiction and overdose. This examination of death certificates demonstrates an increase in risk of opioid-related deaths between 2006 and 2016 from 5.3 to 9.0 per 100,000 people in the general population, but there is only an increase from 0.5 to 0.7 per 100,000 cancer patients over the same time period, which represents a more than tenfold lower incidence. So it seems that fear of overdose may very well be overestimated. Thanks to Chino. Up next, COVID kids. Though children in general appear pretty low risk for COVID-19, this Memorial Sloan Kettering experience of screening all pediatric patients receiving cancer treatment demonstrates that 11% test positive with the majority being symptomatic, but only one requiring non-critical care hospitalization. Thanks to Bolad et al., JAMA Oncology. 2020. All right, so it's that time of the year again. We're only about a week and a half away from the ASCO 2020 annual meeting, but like a host of other summer events, ASCO 2020 will be playing virtually to an empty arena. So here we go with a roundup of the 2020 plenary session abstracts and some of our predictions for how it's all going to turn out. First, we've got E2108, which may be the trial that we're most excited to see. Currently, local therapy is mostly reserved for palliative purposes in women with de novo metastatic breast cancer. E2108 looked at the benefit of local therapy, surgery, and radiation after chemotherapy in these women. Patients had to have resectable primary disease and a good response or stable disease after initial planned chemotherapy. They then went on to receive either standard local therapy based on extent of disease or local therapy for palliative purposes only. We're thinking and maybe even hoping that there's going to be a positive outcome here that may change our practice for metastatic breast cancer, meaning that this may be the stampede of breast cancer. However, we recognize that multiple randomized trials in the past have failed to show clear benefit. But it will be important to see the details about patterns of progression and subset analyses of how well the approach works in different breast cancer subtypes. So what's the betting line? At least our betting line? Surgery and or radiation after response to initial chemotherapy will likely improve overall survival for women with de novo metastatic breast cancer and 
resectable primary disease. But this may in fact be driven by certain receptor subtypes. Thanks to Khan et al. ASCO 2020. Up next, Adara. The adjuvant setting for resected stage 1b to 3a non-small cell lung cancer is one of the last untouched spaces for targeted and immunotherapy. In Adara, these patients were randomized to receive adjuvant osimertinib, which is an irreversible EGFR TKI, or placebo after optional adjuvant chemotherapy. Because AstraZeneca announced that the trial has been unblinded based on recommendation from the Data Monitoring Committee, our bet is that there's a significant improvement in disease-free survival with osimertinib. So what's the betting line? Adjuvant osimertinib will significantly improve disease-free survival for patients with resected EGFR-mutated non-small cell lung cancer, thanks to Herbst et al. ASCO. 2020. Finally, Keynote 177. Right now, chemotherapy is the frontline treatment for metastatic colorectal cancer. Ipinevo and Pembro are options for patients with MSI high or mismatch repair deficient disease. About 10 to 15% of patients fall into this category. In Keynote 177, pembrolizumab was given as frontline therapy head-to-head -head with standard modified Fulfox-6 or Fulfiri plus or minus bevacizumab or cetuximab. And that's right, you guessed it, Merck already announced a significant improvement in progression-free survival with single-agent pembrolizumab. The betting line is that pembrolizumab alone results in significantly better progression-free survival compared to frontline chemotherapy for patients with mismatch repair deficient or MSI high advanced colorectal cancer. Thanks to Andre, ASCO 2020. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.